Merry Christmas, everyone. I want to welcome you to our service, and uh, it's an honor to have you here tonight. Can we thank the worship team for uh, leading us in some singing? Yeah, so a uh, couple things I want to let you know about. Um, first of all, we have a nursery on the other side of the foyer there. And parents, uh, if you need to go back there during the service, uh, it's available for you. You can even take your kids back there uh, with you. And then, they didn't get a laugh in the last service either. And then, um, and then in a little while, we're going to have a kids' church going on. And grade school kids are welcome to uh, join Pastor Lee next door for that in just a little bit. So I want to welcome you and kind of get you thinking about our topic tonight. We're talking about Christmas, and when I say, are you having a Merry Christmas, um, are you guys having a good Christmas so far? Good? Okay. So you're like above average because most people I've asked over the last few weeks have been like not so good, um, stressed, depressed, busy, too much stuff going on, and it's just like crazy busy. And that makes sense because it seems like life in general these days is like crazy busy all the time. And there's so much stuff that's competing for our attention. And I was thinking this week a little bit about all the stuff we have to deal with, all the noise that's coming in, because we're talking about a silent night tonight. But the world we live in isn't really all that quiet. There's all the relationships and, you know, the noise that goes along with that, family and needs and, and stuff that's going on, stuff we need to give our attention to, friends and people we work with and go to school with and neighbors. And many of you are probably like most of us you have, you're trying to do way too many things and juggle your schedule and, and keep that going. And then some of you are in school, and so you're trying to do life and do term papers and get ready for tests. And for some of you, it's your job, and there's a lot of noise involved with that, a lot of attention that's needed, chores, finances. You guys feeling stressed yet at all? Uh, there's more health, the right, getting enough exercise and eating right. And then every one of us has always got some kind of problem we're trying to solve. And then there's, on top of that, there's cell phones and phones and social media and all that kind of stuff. And we pretty much live in a very, very noisy world that's always trying to capture our attention. And then at Christmas, it seems like it just gets a little bit louder, doesn't it? Everything gets a little bit busier. And I was thinking this week about how when, when you're young, Christmas is not that complicated, you know? When I was young, it was pretty easy. I didn't have to go to school. I could sleep in, got extra cookies, got presents. And it was, it was pretty simple. And then the older you get, it gets a little more complicated. There's a little more stuff going on. And, you know, you've got, you've got a career as you get older, and you've got to take care of that around Christmas. You got, if you're married, and if you have kids, and the more kids you have, there's more stuff going on, more activities, and, and more stuff that you need to give yourself to, and as you get older, there's extended family, and all the, you know, all the stuff that goes along with that, and then there's the decorating, right, which I realize you probably all love, there's no stress involved there, there's the tree, is it you cut, or pre-cut, or no cut, um, Christmas cards, that's been like the big conversation the last few days, do you do Christmas cards, do you do Christmas letters, and how do you write that, and who do you send it to and who do you not send it to and if you don't send it to someone do they get upset and what if someone sends you a card and you don't send them a card and there's all that stuff and then and then there's like for us there's a movie schedule right so it's like it's finding a way to fit in elf and um christmas vacation and then in our house it's like white christmas like five or six times which i don't really know why but um anyways and then there's gift giving right does anybody besides me find gift giving complicated it's just in the older you get 
the more complicated, like when you're young, it's easy. When I was young, my mom and dad gave me money. I went and bought them a crummy gift and then that was like all there was to it. And you get older and you're like a husband, you're a father and you wanna get like the perfect gift for your kids, for your wife, right? So you like drop hints and you're trying to figure out what they want and how you can surprise them. And then there's the whole, you know, research and who's got the best deal. And then there's the shopping and, and buying it and the budget. What's the budget? And are you gonna stick in the budget? Are you gonna go completely broke? Or what are you gonna do there? And so there's the, there's the activities. In fact, there's the events and the family gatherings, and maybe for some of you, that's super busy for you this time of year, and the older you get, sometimes the more complicated it can get. Like for me, when, when I was young, I kind of got introduced to all those dynamics because um, not in my immediate family, but in my extended family, there was a lot of divorce and remarriage, and it's never as fun as it is at Christmas time, right? So like, I was thinking back, like at, on Christmas Eve, I used to go with my family, and we used to go to this house of some people that I'm pretty sure we were related to, but even now, I'm not sure how we were related to them. In fact, I think we used to be related, and then we weren't, but like we kept going to their house. So we'd go to their house with all these people, and then after that, we'd go to my grandparents on my mom's side, and the tradition there was we would stay up, at, we'd be there until midnight, and at midnight, we'd open presents, and then we'd drive home, and then the next morning, I'd have Christmas with my family at home for a while, and then we'd go to my dad's father and stepmother and have Christmas with them, and then we'd have equal time with my dad's mother and stepfather, and then they got divorced, so then it was mother and nun, and then they got remarried, and then it was mother and step-step, what is it if he marries twice? The same person, and step-step-like, and then, after, and then he was gone again, and then there were other people who got divorced, and we had this thing, maybe you've had this, where we had people we were biologically related to who got divorced, and we decided we liked the other people better, so <laughs> they kept coming, and uh, we weren't technically related to them anymore. And then there's a the whole guy, so is this just a guy thing, right? Guys, do you ever do this? So you're going to a Christmas party, going to a Christmas event, going to be with family, and what do guys always say while they're on their way? They always ask, how long, right? Any, anyone do that besides me? Am I the only one? How long? See, now my wife thinks when I ask how long, she thinks I'm being rude, but actually, I'm tr what, what I realize is I want to make sure that I can spread out my social graces in the appropriate amount of time. So, like, if I spend all of my charm in the first half hour in there for six hours, I got nothing for five and a half hours, and so... I'm just trying to be a good husband. And, but I find that at Christmas, in general, people are busier. People are more stressed. They're more depressed. They're more distressed than any other time of the year. And the irony there is that the first Christmas was very, very, very simple. And our theme tonight is a silent night. And I want to read part of the text for you. And then we're going to have the, uh, the kids come up here and sing for us. And Luke chapter 2 is, is part of this story. Uh, my favorite Christmas story is found in the book of Luke, and in Luke 2, in, in verse 8, it tells us this. Now, in the same region, this is on the night Jesus was born, in the same re region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and, and they were terribly frightened. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good news. And that's kind of our anchor tonight. It says, I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be a sign for you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. Christmas is about good news. It's about peace. 
It's about rest for your soul. It's about a silent night. Let's pray together. Father God, I want to thank you for bringing each one of us here tonight. A chance to worship you, a chance again to think about what Christmas is, is really about. I pray that you would calm our hearts and our minds tonight as we enjoy the gift of your son. In Jesus' name we pray, and all God's people said, amen. amen. Well, we're talking about a silent night, and I, I, I mentioned in the last service, you know, that that's different than uh, the experience a lot of us have, and I had somebody go afterwards say, I, I really wasn't stressed until I heard you start talking, and then I started getting pretty stressed about, like, all the things I hadn't done yet for Christmas, but... You know, there are a lot of things this time of year that are competing for our attention. Again, as we talked about earlier, there's family and relationships, and, and that's all good stuff. There's a lot of good activities, but just trying to juggle the schedule. There's pursuing education, jobs, and chores, and finances, and health, and, and problem solving. And then there's something that's just a little bit newer um, to, to many of us. It's kind of a generational thing, but now there's all the technology that uh, is kind of crowding our, our space as well. There's, you know, it used to be, I remember like when a cordless phone was cool. And, uh, but now, now, of course, you can have your phone everywhere you go. And everywhere you go, it can beep at you and tweet at you and, and alert you that you have a call or there's a Facebook message and there's email and there's texting and, you know, the internet and if you're into tweeting and there's cable TV and there's all this media that's continually coming at us and, and crowding our space. One social scientist said this, never in history has the human brain been asked to track and process so much information on a continual basis. It is true that, that today we are receiving more information and, and having more things asked of us than, than at any time in human history. And so we've kind of come up with a solution for it. Um, we've invented something called multitasking. Anyone heard of that? Well, like, you're not doing that right now, right? You're not. <laughs> Multitasking is the idea of being able to do two things at once, or here's one definition I found. Multitasking is the human attempt to simultaneously do as many things as possible, as quickly as possible, preferably marshalling the power of as many technologies as possible. Here's another definition I like better by Dr. Edward Hollowell. This is his definition. Um, multitasking is a mythical activity in which people believe they can perform two or more tasks simultaneously. Now, over the last couple of months, I've been able to do a lot of research on multitasking. Um, and Dr. Hollowell calls it mythical because social scientists and scientists have long believed that the human brain cannot process more than one stream of information at a time. And in fact, research with MRI technology is beginning to increasingly support that hypothesis that we can only actually concentrate on one thing at a time. So instead of multitasking, which we cannot physiologically do, what we're actually doing is task switching. Switching from one task to another, to another, to another, as quickly as we possibly can. The problem is we're terrible at it. We're, we're bad at it. In fact, we're so bad at multitasking or task switching that there are actually laws against it in some places. Like in our state, there's a law against multitasking of talking on your phone and anyone? 
Right. So you knew that because when I'm driving down the road, it's like nobody knows that. And, you know, right. Or texting. Right. Right. You saw the bumper sticker. Honk if you love Jesus. Text while driving if you want to meet him. It's like just, I mean, it's crazy, but people do it. And here's the, here's the reason it's outlawed because we're bad at it and it's dangerous. It's even fatal. So I got a chance to read just a whole lot of of, of research on multitasking, and some of it's boring and some of it's good. I want to give you a couple of the good things I discovered. For instance, at the Institute of Psychiatry at the University of London, they did a two-year study, and here's one of the conclusions. This is like one of their scientific conclusions. Workers distracted by email and phone calls suffer a fall in IQ more than twice that found in marijuana smokers. I just, I love that one. Um, Researchers at the University of California, Irvine, did a study where they monitored uh, workers in offices being interrupted by phone calls and, and answering email. And what they found was the average worker took about 25 minutes to recover from the interruption and return to their original task, right? Because we're not good at, at, at multitasking or task switching. Research at Vanderbilt University revealed that, uh, quote, multitasking releases stress hormones and adrenaline, which can cause long-term health problems and the loss of short-term memory. What was I talking about? (laughs) Uh, Yeah, in fact, study after study after study is coming out and showing that it can really hurt our short-term memory. Professor Clifford Nass wrote this, multitaskers, and this is one of my favorite kind of conclusions, multitaskers are suckers for irrelevancy. Everything distracts them equally. Anything shiny is just as important as anything else shiny. Anything making a noise is as important as anything else. They find it increasingly difficult to identify and focus on what's really truly important in any given moment. In fact, I read study after study that shows that for those who practice multitasking or try to, after a while, they become terrible at being able to differentiate between what's really important and what's not. For example, somebody who's driving down the road behind a death machine and, and their phone alerts them that they have a text message. Now, what's most important at that, at that moment? People who continually multitask can't seem to get that through their head, so they think it's just as important to answer a text or an email while driving as, as it is driving, or it's, it's students who think that they can be keeping their Facebook status updated while they're doing homework, or maybe more to the point, it's like a husband who thinks he can be watching a football game on TV while having a heart-to-heart with his wife, right? Which... Guys, has that ever worked out, right? I mean, it's just because we're no good at task switching, which is why one researcher renamed multitasking. He calls it continuous partial attention, which is exactly what it is. It's very quick, but very shallow thinking, very shallow living, which leads to very, very shallow relationships because multitasking is actually about attention. As one researcher said, multitasking is really about the discipline of paying attention, the ability to shift our attention and more broadly, to exercise judgment about what objects are truly worthy of our attention at any given moment. But of course, the challenge is that we continue to live in a very, very noisy world, and it's all coming at us so fast that it's, it's difficult at times to discern 
What should we listen to and, and what should we ignore? And at Christmas, it just gets even noisier because there's all the activities and, and the things we have to do and the shopping and the financial stress, the schedules and, and the relational stress. But it, the irony is that the very first Christmas was not anything like that. In fact, I want to read for you again from Luke chapter 2, and I'm going to back up a little bit in the story to the the first verse of chapter 2. Luke was written by a guy who was a historian. He came uh, after Jesus. He interviewed uh, some of Jesus' disciples and and people who were there, and he put this this book together. And in Luke chapter 2, verse 1 is my favorite account of the birth of of Christ. It starts this way. Now, now in those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus. Now, those days was about 2,000 years ago in, in Palestine during the Roman occupation. And uh, from time to time, um, Rome would have its inhabitants um, t- take part in the census for taxation reasons. And this was the first census taken while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone was on his way to register for the census, each to his own city. And so you would be required to go to what was considered your ancestral home and to register for taxation. Now, in our story, there's a young man named Joseph, probably pretty young. We think he might have been 17, 18 years old. And he also went up from Galilee, from the city of Nazareth, to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because that was his ancestral home. Um, from the family of David in order to register along with Mary who was engaged to him and and was with child. So you're probably familiar with the story. There was this young couple, probably pretty young, we think maybe 17 and 15 or so, and they were engaged to be married. And while they were engaged, an angel appeared to Mary and said, I have some great news for you and and you're going to be pregnant and you're going to have a child while still a virgin and it's going to be a boy and you'll name him Jesus because he'll save his people from their sin. And uh, an angel appeared to Joseph as well and said, you know, don't worry about it. Mary hasn't been messing around. She's still a virgin. Take her as your wife. And so he took her and they traveled to Bethlehem. And when they got there, there was no room at the Best Western because it was like Washougal. There's only one. And so they had to stay in a barn And while they were there, the days were completed for her to give birth, and she gave birth to her firstborn son. And she wrapped him in cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. So if you're not into reading the Bible, and it's easy to miss what Christmas is really about because you'll not hear that in our culture. And even if you're into the Bible, even if you're a student of the Bible, even if, even if, and maybe more so if you're a scholar of the Bible, it's easy to get so caught up in the details that we can miss the real point. We can get so caught up in the political drama of what was happening in the Roman Empire back then and Mary's pregnancy and how old she was and what that would have been like and Joseph, who was he and, you know, what happened to him anyways? How I mean, he just kind of disappears and how did they travel there and what kind of shepherds were they and why did they leave their jobs without getting permission? And, you know, I read a whole dissertation the other day about the angels and what kind of angels were they and did they sing the message or did they speak the message? Like, who cares? And then there were the magi and when did they come and what kind of gifts did they give? and what was that all about? But the message of Christmas is, is really very, very simple. In verse 8, it says this. Now, in the same region, there were some shepherds staying out in the fields and keeping watch over their flock by night. And an angel of the Lord suddenly stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. 
And they were terribly frightened, but the angel said, and here's where the good part comes. He says, do not be afraid for behold. And then notice what he says. He says, behold, I bring you, and then he says this, he says, I bring you good news. Will you say that with me? He says, I bring you good news, all right? And that's it right there. That's what Christmas is about. I bring you good news of great joy, which will be for all the people. For today in the city of David, there has been born for you a savior who is Christ the Lord. He says, I have good news for you. In the Greek, that's just one word. We translate it into two words. It's also the word that we translate as gospel because this announcement was about a child who would be born and, and 30 years later, he would begin to travel around and he would proclaim the gospel, the good news to everyone he came in contact with. Because Christmas isn't about the presents and the, the gatherings and the vacation and the parties and, and religion. It's about good, good, good news. What's the good news? He says, there has been born for you a savior, a, a, deliverer, a deliverer, one who saves or, or rescues. Now it's usually at this po- point in the story where people sometimes ask me, I don't get it. What do I need a savior for? What do I need to be saved from? My life is just fine. As I understand the Bible, though, what the Bible teaches us is that we were created by a God who had planned us, who who created us with great worth. He created us in his image. He gave us intelligence and creativity and the ability to invent and discover and, and to love. But instead of taking all of that stuff that God gave us, and, and following his plan for our life, we took all that stuff and we thumbed our nose at God and we said, God, I'm gonna do what I want with my life, with my time, with my abilities, with my relationship. And we pushed God off the throne of our life. We didn't push him off the throne of heaven or the universe, but we pushed him off the throne of our life. And we put ourselves on there. And we started calling the shots. The Bible calls that sin when we go down another path for our life than the one that God had designed for us. There's several results of sin. One is that it separates us from our God. It's what causes us to have this, to have this, this hole in our heart that cannot be filled by things or activities or holidays. It can only be filled by God himself. And death came into the world because of sin. Spiritual death, that is a disconnection from God but physical death as well. But the message of Christmas is good news. And not just good news, but 100% good news. Not a bait and switch good news. Not, not the kind of good news that I got last Sunday. In fact, last Sunday I was at home and it was in the afternoon and I was studying. I was studying this exact passage and, and studying the good news. And there's a knock on my door and I answered the door and there's a, there's a guy standing there. I didn't know who he was. And he said, sir, I have really good news for you. So I was really excited because I'm studying good news and I'm like, maybe he has some good news for me. So I'm like, you know, what is it? And he said, my company has chosen you uh, to receive absolutely free one room of free carpet shampooing. It's absolutely free for you. And I was like, wow, that, wow, we could use that. What's it gonna cost me? And he said, it's absolutely free. All we ask is that you hire us to clean three other rooms of your house and then you get one room absolutely free, 100% free. Now I went to Bible college. One of the reasons was because if you go to Bible college and you major in theology, you don't have to take any math classes at all in all of college, which I didn't. But I know enough about math. I didn't. I'm like, dude, you're not offering me anything free. You're offering me a 
discount. He looked confused when I said that. But it made me think, the gospel is not a discount. The angel didn't say, hey, I bring you good news of a 25% discount to get into heaven. He didn't say, he didn't say, have some good news. Jesus is going to do something for you. He's going to go to the cross and he's going to die for your sin. Jesus is going to do something for you. Now you need to do something for him. He's not doing it all, but it's a discount. He's doing a lot of it. You know, he's doing a lot of the heavy lifting. So Jesus is, is born. He's going to live with you and go to the cross. And then you need to do something for him. You need to get in the right religion or keep the right rules or, or be involved in the right rituals. You've got to be good enough. It's a discount. But the essence of the good news is that it's completely, absolutely, 100% good news. If there is a passage that summarizes the good news, it's probably the best-known passage in all of Scripture. It's John 3.16. I mean, it just lays it out really well. First Bible verse I ever learned, the the Bible verse God used to draw me to himself. In John 3.16, it says this. Notice, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. It says God so loved the world, that he did what people in love do. They give. When you're in love, you always want to give of yourself. We give our time, we give gifts or flowers or affection, but we give something of ourselves. And that's what God did. God gave to us what was most precious to him. He gave a a part of himself. He gave us his son. Jesus shows us at Christmas that God is love, that God is compassionate, that he cares about us even though we walked away from him. But God is also just because sin is offensive to God. I know sometimes we look at sin and think, well, murder is terrible or rape is terrible or child molestation is terrible, but all sin to God is grievous and terrible. And God couldn't just pretend that it didn't happen. God is just, so he sent his son, he sent this, this child, this baby, who was born in this, manger, in this manger, that angels announced, good news has come. And 33 years later, he would go to a Roman cross where he would take your place and mine, where he would atone for our sin. He would die so that we could be forgiven. It goes on in this passage, notice what it says, but whoever believes in him, couple of words that I've underlined. Believe in. That word believe in the Greek means to, sometimes we translate it as faith. It has the idea of trusting in something. And that, that word in, when he says believe in, it's the Greek word ace. It means, it means to move towards something or move into something. And when you put them together, it has the idea of believing toward or, or trusting or even kind of leaning in to something, so that to believe in Jesus is, it's kind of like, it's kind of like a chair. Maybe you've heard this before. I can look at the chair and inspect the chair, and I can say I believe in the chair, but the way I, sh- I show that I believe a chair can do what a chair is supposed to do is I lean into it. I, I rest my weight on it, and I see if it can do the work, and that's the idea of faith. Faith is when we really truly believe and we, we trust in what Jesus did. We don't trust in religion. We don't trust in our good works. We don't trust in ritual. So we lean in. We, we literally put our, our, the full weight of our life in the hands of, of Jesus Christ. We believe in what he has done for us. 
And he says that when we do that, we'll have eternal life. It means you won't stop living. You won't cease to exist. But it means more than that. It's not just about a duration of life. It's also about a quality of life. In fact, in John 17, Jesus kind of defined eternal life for us. He's praying to the Father. He's praying for us. And he says, Father, the hours come glorify your Son that he might give eternal life to all those you have given him. And now this is eternal life. Here's what it is. He says that they may know you the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. Eternal life then is not just a duration of life. He says it's a relationship. It's, it's when we're connected to God. Jesus came to give us a knowledge of God, but to also give us a relationship with him. And believing is what connects us to that gift. Now a lot of people know John three sixteen. Not so many people know the next verse. And verse 17 where he goes on and says, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So the message at Christmas is not God yelling at us or shaking his finger at us or telling us what you know, awful, rotten sinners we are because that's not good news. That's just old news. That's just duh, right? Because we already, we knew that. The, the good news is that he came to save us, that we were separated from God and Jesus came to, to rejoin us to God. Uh, he came to connect us with God. We were lost, but he came to find us. We were dead, but he came to, to bring us back to life. Over the years, maybe you've heard this formula, but I, I love a summary of all of this. It says, it, it kind of comes down to this, God loved and so God gave. And when we believe in Jesus, then we receive the gift of a relationship with God the Father, not just eternal life, but a relationship with our God, our Savior, our, our Creator. And that's why the angel could announce, I bring you good news. Not just kind of good news, not just sort of good news, not 25% good news or 75%, but perfectly good news. Going on in the story, it says this. Now when the angels had gone away from them into heaven, the shepherds began to say to one another, let us go straight to Bethlehem then and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has made known to us. So they came in a hurry and they found their way to Mary and to Joseph and the baby as he lay in the manger. And when they had seen this, they made known the statement which had been told them about this child. And all who heard it wondered at the things which were told them by the shepherds. And then I, I love this. Notice what it says. But Mary, notice what did she do? But Mary treasured all of these things, pondering them in her heart. It said she treasured these things. To treasure in the Greek, it has the idea of to keep something in mind, to draw something close, to, to continually think about it, to dwell on it, to hold on to it. It made me think about how for Mary, on that evening, there was a lot of noise going on in the world around her. I mean, there were the animals who were probably kind of noisy, you know, and there was her husband, who was probably like husbands are uh, when children are born. They're just all noisy. And then there, there were the shepherds who came, and they're telling the story, and they're talking, and she was probably in some pain from birth. And then there was, you know, thinking about all the new responsibilities and this child she had and what had just happened. And she's away from home and has to figure out how she's going to take care of the baby. But it says that on that night, Mary found her treasure. She found the main thing of life. She literally found peace and rest for her soul. 
And her treasure was not that she was the mother of Jesus, as great as that would have been. Her treasure was that Jesus would be her savior, her redeemer, her Lord. She discovered the main thing in life and she treasured it. She put it first in her life and she kept it first in her life and in her thoughts. My question for you tonight is, have you done that? Have you done that with Jesus? Have, have, you, have you thought, have you grabbed on to him and the beauty and the truth of who he is? Have you, in, have you embraced him? Have you given him the first place in your life and in your thoughts? Because at Christmas, it, it's easy, isn't it, to just get scattered and just kind of go, go in a lot of different directions. But if Christmas is about anything, it's about the good news of God's son or it's about nothing at all. For Mary, it was a silent night. It was a beautiful night where she found what was most important in life and she put it there. In a minute, I'm gonna pray. And uh, if you've never done that, if, if you have never embraced Jesus Christ and what he, he, he did for you, who he is as sovereign God, as Lord of creation, but also as the one who loved you so much that he came and that he died for you. If you've never done that, I wanna give you a chance tonight. I wanna pray with you. And, and prayer isn't something magic that saves you. You're saved when you believe. But prayer is a great place to start talking to God, to have a conversation with him, to just tell him, Father God, I accept your gift of Jesus Christ. Show me how to follow you, how to live for you, to thank him for taking away your sins and giving you eternal life. And if, if you're here tonight and you've never done that, I want to give you a chance in a moment to do that. If you haven't done that and you don't want to do that tonight, you're not ready to do that, I want you to know that I, I'm, I'm not trying to force you into it. I can't, I can't make you believe. I wouldn't even try to do that. But there may come a time in your life when you start to question your unbelief. And when that happens, I want you to be thinking about Jesus Christ because he is there. He is God. He is our Savior. Amen? Amen? Let's pray together. Father God, I thank you for giving us the chance tonight and just the craziness and the busyness of life to remember the story of Christmas, to remember the treasure, to remember the point, to remember the good, good good news that a savior has been born unto us and his life has been given for us so that our sin can be forgiven so that we can know you the one true God Father God tonight again we affirm our trust in your son and what he did for us if, if you're here tonight and you've You've never placed your faith in Christ, but God brought you here tonight and he's been tugging at your heart and you know now is the time. I would encourage you just to talk to God the Father right now. Just say something like, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for bringing me here tonight. Thank you for the good, good news of the Savior. Father God, now I want to declare that I'm, I'm placing my trust in your Son in what he did for me on the cross, in the forgiveness that he offers me. And now I embrace that and all that he did for me. And now, Father, show me how to follow you, how to live 
the abundant life and to follow your plan for me. Thank you for your son. Thank you for the good news. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen.